0: This is the Church Security Made Simple podcast, giving leaders practical solutions to help make your community safer. I'm your host, Simon Osmo, and I'm on a mission to keep his churches safe. Now, it's been over 10 years since the Lord called me into security ministry, and as a national church safety practitioner, supporting churches across the country, I'll share my expertise to give you simple solutions to keep your church safe if you're ready to make your church security simple, come join me and let's dive into this week's episode as we learn how to plan, prepare and protect our ministries. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Church Security Made Simple podcast and I'm really excited to bring you this conversation today. I'm going to be talking to you about teachings from my book. Securing the church operations, a seven-step plan for ministry and safety leaders. And we're going to be talking about seven steps to secure your church without overwhelm, 10 times faster than any other method that I've seen within church security. Now, this is especially for you if you're just getting started, because the major problem with safety and security in a church is that there's a denial of danger. There's no security culture, no centralized process. Often no one central person is in charge has authority. There's a lack of experience in security leadership and staff and volunteers are often overwhelmed. And lastly, there's those that believe that security is not biblical. And people want to feel that they're creating the impact that they want. They want to feel that you're creating a safer environment at your church. But the reality is most church securities fail in security because they're following the wrong method. So if you don't have a program, or you don't know where to start, or you're feeling overwhelmed, you need to be following the Securing Church Operations method. Now, if you're not following a system, you can't grow a program. And if you're not following a system, you can't keep people safe. And if people don't feel safe, they won't come to your church. Now, this is the main reason why most safety and security leaders give up. They're not following a program. So this conversation today is going to be especially for you if you want to create a safer environment at your church without overwhelm, really fast. I'm talking in less than 72 hours. If you follow some of the steps I'm going to tell you, you can make some wins in 72 hours within your faith community. And it's much easier than you think, regardless of your experience that you have. Now, some of you might be saying, Simon, well, what am I going to get from this conversation? So here is what we're going to explore together, a proven method, because a proven method, the truth is that it kills overwhelm. A proven method, the truth is it kills perfection. A proven method, the truth is it kills low belief. Now, securing church operations, my seven-step approach to protect your ministry is proven across the US, and not only across the US, it's proven internationally that it works. So if you're asking, Simon, is this conversation for me? Do I need to keep going with this podcast? The answer is yes. And this is especially for you if you're a safety and security leader at your church. This is especially for you if you're an administrator, you work in facilities, you're an operations leader. This is for you. So you might be thinking, well, why is now the right time? Well, sadly, mental health is getting worse across the US. A source by the National Alliance on Mental Illness says that now one in 100 Americans is living with schizophrenia. 2.6% of American adults live with bipolar disorder and 6.9% of Americans are living with some type of depression. We know that mental illness is getting worse. And we know that crime in churches is getting worse. We used to be that safe sanctuary, that safe place, untouched. But statistics from the Violence Project show that mass shootings in houses of worship are on the rise. And I think we can all recall an event in the news which has involved a church and a mass shooting. There's been 11 mass shootings at houses of worship in recent years. The FBI statistics call a mass shooting four or more people killed. There's been 11 of these, according to the Statistics by the Violence Project. And we know that civil unrest is getting worse. The tragedy of George Floyd murder here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I live, showed that that churches were vandalised. Churches were burned to the ground. There was in California a 249-year-old church, was caught fire and burnt to the ground by protesters civil unrest is getting worse and churches are no longer immune from the violence that the rest of society used to see but here is some of the good news there is a proven methodology to remove this to reduce the overwhelm to fight back against the human brokenness but let's start off with a little bit about well if you're joining us for the first time why should you listen to me? Well, well, who am I? Well, I want to start off by saying that on the grand scheme of things, I'm no one important, but the Lord has given me some skills that I want to share with you. Now, I am the former head of counterterrorism at Mall of America in Minnesota. If you haven't heard of Mall of America in Minnesota, it is North America's largest entertainment and retail complex. And it's actually larger than Disney because it's free to get in there. So on average, they get around 42 million visitors each year. So you can sort of start to picture the scale of it. I spent 14 years in the UK police as a detective focused on organised crime. And in 2014, I founded Kingswood Security Consulting, a risk management firm which focuses on non-profit safety and security. And as I previously mentioned, the author of Securing Church Operations, a seven-step plan for ministry and safety leaders that has been downloaded and sold over a thousand times on Amazon. And I recently featured in the book by Dr. Gillian Peterson and Dr. James Densley, one of Kingswood collaborators, titled How to Stop a Mass Shooting Epidemic. Things that are taught in the church feature within that book. And so I support some of the smallest churches in the country to some of the largest through the method that I'm going to share with you today. So if you are ready to explore this new approach, let's just dive straight in to step one, which is identify your security culture. Now, people will sometimes say to me, Simon, what do you mean by that? What do you mean about security culture? Well, I'm talking about perception of risk. And I want to tell you a story that I once spent over three hours talking with a facilities manager about safety and security about all the plans that he wanted to bring in. He wanted to start a safety team, and he wanted that safety team to have firearms. And I said, that's great. Let's talk about that, and let's lay down the foundations. But before we get there, I said, can I talk to two people? Can I talk to your executive pastor, and can I talk to your preaching pastor, just to get their views? And within two minutes of those conversations, I found out that the church security culture was divided the executive pastor, the lead pastor, preaching pastor, if you like, they both said to me, Simon, we do not want guns inside our church. We do not want our church to be like a prison. We want it to be warm and inviting. Now I had the security manager, the facilities lead was telling me, Simon, here's what we need to do to stay safe. Here's where I need your help. And I had the pastoral staff looking at the problem through a different lens and we don't want to be like a prison so there was a clash there wasn't a security culture a cohesive security culture where everyone agreed together and a second church that i went to i was doing a security risk assessment where i looked at their people the property and their buildings um, looked at current risks identified vulnerabilities and then provided them a roadmap to overcome those vulnerabilities and try to manage that risk. And during that process, staff members would say, Simon, I can't tell you what really goes on here, because if I do, you're going to say that these programs are unsafe and we shouldn't be be doing them. And again, I had the business operations manager was saying, Simon, we need this risk assessment to understand our risk so we can form a plan. And then I had the staff apprehensive to talk about the risks because they were fearful it meant that ministries were going to stop. So again, there wasn't this cohesive security culture. Not everyone bought into the security culture. So the second step that I believe every house of worship needs is to start a safety committee. Now, this can take various different forms, but a safety committee provides support and it empowers accountability. It will allow your organization to have some type of credible challenge, a group that can look at problems objectively and say, we need to change this. We need to improve in this area. We need to hold that department, that person accountable. This comes from having a safety committee. Now, it also provides you a proactive security measure, but most importantly, a pre-planned response when things go wrong. Now, in your house of worship, or your non-profit as you're listening, how many times has a threat come in and you've not known what to do? Something very simple. I get churches across the country contact me almost daily saying, Simon, Maggie's husband, they're estranged, they're going through a divorce, they're separated, they're not living together. Maggie's just told us that Ex-partner, ex-husband is going to come to a church and is going to cause violence against her. He's going to find her and the church ring me as in they don't know what to do. You know, having a pre-planned response, having a safety committee, stroke threat assessment committee. They can discuss this and work out, well, what is the risk of that husband coming to the church? Who do we need to contact? If it doesn't happen that day, it doesn't mean the risk might have disappeared. It just hasn't happened. So what is our response going to be? Jesus had his disciples for a few reasons. One was to spread the mission and spread the word of God throughout the kingdom and create new disciples. It was also there as a support mechanism for him. So really think about step number two is start a safety committee. Step three is protecting your promoter. Now, this is critical to the personal safety of your staff your volunteers, and all people within your building. Protecting perimeters is security basics. Perimeters are wider than buildings. This is also programs. Because what you're trying to simply identify is protecting your perimeter helps know who is in your building and why are they there. Let me repeat that. Who is in your building and why are they there? Now, there was a church that I worked with where a facilities manager found a teen in a restricted area. It was a challenging situation for that facilities manager and it ended up in physical violence between him and the teenager that he'd found there. But afterwards, in the reflection, how did the teen get into that restricted area? And it turned out that the church had multiple entrances, multiple entrances, that were all were open during the day. But the church did... The church did have a receptionist sit at the front during the hours of operation but because there were so many doors that are open no one had seen this young teen come inside the church this young teen had free reign to walk around the church found himself in a restricted area where he was trying to look for money find things to steal whereby eventually many used violence against that facilities manager to escape the situation so protection of your perimeter finding ways to know who is inside your building, how many entrances and exits do you have open during the day. Step four is conduct a security risk assessment. There may be some of you that are saying, Simon, what is a security risk assessment? I'm not familiar with that term. Well, it's a very simple process. You're looking to find your potential risks, or you could say in brackets, threats. You're going to conduct an assessment of those current mitigations assessment of the mitigations you have to try and stop those risks, stop those threats from occurring. And then the risk assessment process is going to give you recommendations to best manage that risk to stop those things from happening. Now, here's one thing I would say. I don't always believe that risk can be mitigated. It can only be managed. I'll just repeat that again. I personally don't believe that all risk can be mitigated, as in stopped. It can only be managed because humans are humans and we cannot always control humans. We can only do our best to try and manage the risk that the church has. And I think T.S. Eliot once said, if you aren't in over your head, how do you know how tall you are? Uh, The security risk assessment process, you're opening yourself up to be very vulnerable. You're going to lay all the issues, um, all the problems are going to become laid bare. But what you're going to have is a clear roadmap in the recommendations how to remove those issues and threats that you have or best manage them. So I want to tell you about a strategy that I see a lot of churches do across the country and I've actually got a grant writer on my team who helps me with this is that the reason why a security risk assessment is at step four is you'll notice so far, one, two, and three don't cost you any money. You can do those today. But step four does involve spending some capital expense, but it's very important to lay the foundation. And here's the reason why. A lot of people go for Department of Homeland Security grants for technology, cameras, card access, ways to lock your building down during an active shooter. But, you know, one of the big things they want to know as part of their process is, They need your security risk assessment. So if you're considering going for a department of homeland security, grant with technology, they're going to ask you for your security risk assessment because that shows you're thinking about risk, you're looking at ways to manage it, and you have a roadmap and a plan and that the government's money that they're going to bestow upon you isn't going to be wasted. So they're looking to know, do you have a roadmap to get from A to B to secure your church better? So it's very common for churches now to do a security risk assessment at the start of their process, because it's going to tell them their vulnerabilities, it's going to identify your risks, it's going to tell you what your threats are, and it's going to give you recommendations as a way to best manage those. So step five is create an emergency action plan. I'm going to start off with some scripture here. Matthew 7:26 Matthew 7:26 But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Written procedures are what you need to have a pre-planned response to emergency situations. So I said it again, written procedures are going to detail the emergency situations you perceive may happen or will happen at your church. And here is how we're going to respond. So they're creating a plan that when things go wrong, you're building controls to prevent things from going wrong. You're demonstrating to Caesar, the law of the land and to the public that you have a duty of care. You're reducing your liability having a pre-planned response. We know what we're going to do in these emergency situations. You're reducing your reputational risk, the judgment against you as a faith community, because you have a pre-planned response. You're not trying to run around in the dark and work out what you're going to do. Now, having written procedures is also going to empower staff and volunteers to act. Now, this is big in emergency situation, empowering staff, and volunteers to act they need to know what to do and testing the plan is going to find gaps where it's going to allow you to go back again to fill those gaps with new ways new strategies to manage that risk i'm going to tell you a story now which is most probably the worst nightmare for a church and any parent there was a husband and wife that were in a custody battle for their child The church was aware of the situation between the husband and the wife. There was a non-contact order between the husband and his child. He was not allowed to see his child. And one Sunday, he came to church and he took his son out of the preschool program and was walking out of the building when someone saw him and said, I know he's not allowed to see his son. Then that resulted in the police being called, um, the father being arrested, the child being returned. You know, you, you get in a situation, stressful, heightened. But here's where the learning came from the church afterwards, is that they had some formal procedures written down, but not everyone was trained to those procedures, which allowed the gap of the husband to come into the church, to lay claim for his child and to be leaving out the building. Written procedures are great. Yes, we need them. Reduce liability, reputational risk, demonstrate our duty of care, but testing those procedures training those procedures ensures that everyone knows their expectations so so as in matthew 7 26 do not build your house on sand for it to come crashing down create written procedures to detail your pre-response planned to emergency situations and now number six is implement safety training and again this is very later down the line and some people say well simon why is safety training Step six, shouldn't be that, step one. But remember, if we don't have a program, we don't have the foundation, as in Matthew, the house is going to fall down. If we start training what are we training people on when we don't have policies and procedures we don't know what we're going to be doing so training for me comes later down the line we're looking for a pre-planned response to emergency situations we're looking to empower staff and volunteers to take action we're training to find gaps in policies and procedures it's like testing our policies and procedures we're going to find those gaps Training is going to reduce liability and reputational risk. Twice now you've heard me say reputational risk. The outside perception of you by Caesar, the law of the land, the liability, are they going to say that you did enough? Did you fulfill your legal obligations? A lot of that is going to be based on um, reputation. It's going to be based on perception. Perception is often reality. And lastly, it provides the opportunity to minister to those in need. Now, if you see a person in the church for an extended period of time, or they're hovering around without a purpose, is that person here to cause harm? Or is that person someone that you can identify as being inside your church for an extended period of time, and it's your opportunity to minister to them, to find out what their brokenness is, and lead them closer to Christ? So I want to tell you a quick story. A few years ago, I was training at a church here in Minneapolis, south of the cities. And it was a cold, wintry evening. There was around 50, 60 people that came. And I spoke about my four rules of suspicious behaviour that I believe every person needs to know to be able to find unusual activity that leads to suspicious behaviour. And after that training, the following day, a pastor called me that had come to a training. And he said, Simon, for a moment today, I was in denial after going through your training. And then I remembered that by that by seeing unusual activity, it's also my opportunity to minister to those in need. And he'd seen a car in his parking lot of his church for an extended period of time. He went to go and talk to the gentleman. Something wasn't quite right. He thought he could have been on drugs, just it just didn't sit right with him. And he made the right decision and a positive decision. A proactive decision to call the police because if I'm here to minister I can't minister but I can see this person's in some type of brokenness he called the police now here's the interesting thing on the story not only did that man have a federal warrant outstanding for him but it also previously been inside the church and had stolen the pastor's wallet when he was arrested he had the pastor's wallet inside his car so if the pastor hadn't seen that unusual activity He hadn't been proactive. He hadn't followed the training. He wouldn't have been able to go and try and minister that person and that person would have got away not only with his wallet, but also escaped that federal warrant. So we've really got to make sure that when we have training, we're doing it with the right intentions to be pre-planned to empower staff to take action. And so the final step, step seven, create a safety team. And I know what a lot of you're thinking I know, I know, I know. Create a safety team is number seven. You've already got one or you've had one for some time or you're saying, Simon, why is it step seven? Well, here is the thing. Step one, security culture. Step two, safety committee. Step three, protect your perimeter. Step four, security risk assessment. Step five, emergency action planning. Step six, implement a safety training program. What you need is the foundation before you get into your safety team. So I'm not saying disband your team and start again. I'm telling you, if you're going to go back and do it again today, you need the foundation for that team to be successful. So having a safety team provides a pre-planned response to mitigate and manage risk. Remember I said earlier, not all risk can be mitigated. It can only be managed. Having a safety team is going to provide that reassurance to the congregation. Simon, you've got this right. You know, we're, we're safe and secure. You're protecting my child. You're doing what you can to protect us from harm. You understand your legal and moral obligations. You know, all these things that we have. We're also doing the right thing by the Lord. Again, you know, this is security biblical. Is it scriptural to be doing these things? Nehemiah 4.9 is a very common term, common piece of scripture used for safety teams. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night. And again, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night. There is safety and security scattered throughout the, the bible scattered throughout the bible and that pre-planned response an incident at my own church we had a woman with mental illness incredibly sad story but she came into church one day and she was carrying a jewelry box and at the time I'd actually had my leg in caster I was playing soccer and I damaged my Achilles tendon and my right leg was in a cast and I was on crutches and I saw this woman walk past me Per my four steps, she was holding an unusual item, uh, a jewellery box. And then I tapped one of the safety team members on the shoulder and said, I've just seen something, there's an incident about to occur. This woman with mental illness, she had the jewellery box, she threw it onto the stage, she started shouting and screaming. What did the safety team allow our church to do from compassion, through faith, It allowed us to approach that woman with a pre-planned response for someone that comes onto the stage and remove her in a respectful way. So you always, always need a safety team that can manage those different risks for you. So I want to tell you again, the new method for safety and security has seven steps. Step one, identify security culture. Step two, start a safety committee. Step three, protect your perimeter. Step four, conduct a security risk assessment. Step five, build emergency action planning. Step six, create safety team program training. And step seven, create a safety team. So if you're concerned with your church's safety and security, and if your current method is not working, I'd like to invite you to look at this problem in a new way. Now, you can follow the link in the show notes that will lead you to the Worship Security Academy, where you can learn more about my one-to-one personalised coaching programme, as I'd love to walk alongside you for this journey. But wherever you are with your security, I hope this new way to look at a problem through a programme lens has been helpful to you. But for now, thank you for listening. Have a blessed day, and I look forward to seeing you in that next episode. Thank you for listening to the Church Security Made Simple podcast. If you are looking for more information or training on how to keep you and your church ministry safe, or if you're interested in working with me on my one-to-one mentoring program, please head over to worshipsecurity.org. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening. Now, I will be back with you on the next episode. But until then, stay safe, have a blessed day. And remember, always plan, prepare and protect your ministry.